think all the kids found their way out already. If there are any more kids, four years through fifth grade, you can head on out to your class. The rest of you guys are stuck with me. <laughs> hey, uh, a lot of you have been asking about Autumn, who was on the worship team last week. My sister-in-law, she had a healthy baby boy Wednesday night. Oh. Joshua Eli, the brother of Caleb, so now they got Joshua and Caleb, a blonde-haired boy, and uh, it went quick. She posted earlier that day, well, if this guy doesn't come, come before then, we're going to induce next Tuesday, and later that night, they were in the hospital, and within a couple hours, good to go. So, praise God for healthy babies. I, I thought tonight, as we start into this new series called Go, the Motion of Mission, I wanted to start out by talking about sequels. When I hear that word, I tend to think of movies. And and I can think of some, I'm no movie expert, but just from my personal opinion, I think through some of the sequels over the years, I really got excited when I found out there was going to be a fourth Indiana Jones. Like I grew up with those first three, okay, watched them repeatedly. And then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out and I was kind of like, really? I was disappointed by that one. Okay, I don't, I don't know about the rest of you guys. Uh, Star Wars, when they announced that they were going to come out with three new ones, and then they came out, and it's kind of like, yeah, those are pretty good. Hard to, hard to keep up with the originals. But then Lord of the Rings. There's a series, I don't know how you guys felt. That's a series I felt like it just kept getting better and better with each movie. You no, know, they started... And then they came out with the two towers. And by the time they were to the return of the king, it was like, man, this is just powerful. This series, I, I started there because this series is going to be about a sequel. It's going to be about part two of two in a series of books that was actually written by a famous doctor. And as we talk about this, I want to see if you guys can figure out where we're going with this. This doctor was also a missionary who happened to travel with an even more famous missionary. He was uh, very educated, of course, being a doctor. He wrote in his language at such a level that people read what he wrote and said, wow, this guy, this, this is right up there with the best of the best when it comes to literature, when it comes to history. Uh, anybody know what sequel we're talking about yet? The Book of Acts. Yeah, and who was the author? Luke, absolutely. Do you guys know that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than even Paul did by, by pure amount of words? No one wrote more of your New Testament than this man named Luke. And some of the things we know about Luke, I told you he was a doctor. Paul called him that in one of his books, my friend Luke the doctor. Uh, we know from the book of Acts that Luke actually traveled around with Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Because when Luke writes about it, he says, we went here or we went there. Uh, you see that in Acts chapter 16. Uh, he writes this book. If, if you look at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, to a man named Theophilus. Anybody know what that word means? If you know a little, even a little bit of Greek, there's two halves. Theophilus, lover of God. Now, there's a debate, was this a real man named Theophilus, or was this just a general uh, message out to anybody that loves God? I tend to fall in the camp that this was probably a real guy. He wrote two books to the man. It was a common Greek name. I don't know if you guys know anybody named Theophilus. 
maybe Theo's name on the Cosby show, maybe that was short for Theophilus. I don't know. Probably not. He writes, he says, in my former book, and what's his former book? Luke, absolutely, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This part of this paragraph here that really excites me a lot as someone that loves Jesus, as someone that loves his church. And what really excites me here is that little word began. He says in the book of Luke, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, if you think about the book of Luke, it covers pretty much all of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? From the time he was born until the time he died and was resurrected. So it's interesting that, that Luke would choose this word here. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. It's almost like he's saying to us, and I believe he is, that just because Jesus left and went to sit in heaven, the work that he did on earth was only the beginning. It was only the beginning So if Luke was about what Jesus began to do and say, then the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and say, listen, through spirit-filled believers, he's still on the move. And that's what this whole book of Acts is about. How many of you guys have been in church for a lot of years? Okay, a number of you. I think sometimes us pastors can be guilty of something. We can, and you maybe I'm even a little guilty of it. We talk about the command all the time. Go, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Go, go, it says go. But sometimes we don't stop long enough to talk about, well, well how do we go? What's that look like? Okay, I know the command is there. I've heard it a million times. Enough of the go. Could could we please talk some details? And what I love about God is he knows the questions like that that we wrestle with. And I think that's part of why he left us the book of Acts. What, What he leaves us in the book of Acts is a record of how the early church went. How they carried out that command to go and make disciples. And one of the things I'm struck with as much as anything is how in the book of Acts, you remember it started with a small group, relatively small group of believers, about 120 praying in a room in Jerusalem. By the end of the book, it's going to take us to a place where there are thousands of believers and the gospel has traveled 1,400 miles in a day where there were no cars or airplanes or internet, or printing presses, all the way to the city of Rome, which was the heart of the known world. That's what this book takes us in 30 quick years. It's God's gospel on the move, God's gospel going forward. All that Jesus continued to do and to teach. I'm struck with one other thing as I look at this book. Sometimes I think we get wrapped up in the wrong questions with the going. I think we get wrapped up with the where's and the when's. Like we, we camp there and we almost obsess about it. We 
sleep. Like somehow I'm accidentally going to miss the where and the when of what, where God wants me to, to take this gospel, where he wants me to go. But one thing I think we'll see as we go through this book, if we'll just be willing to listen to God and obey him, he'll take care of the where's and the when's. There's a verse in here that describes the church being persecuted. And I love it in the book of Acts where it says the church was persecuted. And as they spread out, they preached the gospel wherever they went. Wherever they went. And to me, that answers the where question. Wherever I find myself, that's where I'm called to go. If I find myself in Prescott Valley, I'm called to go to Prescott Valley today. If I find myself in Chino Valley or Mayer or Prescott or my neighborhood or my workplace, that's where I'm called to go. Can God move me? Sure. But wherever I'm at, that's where I'm called to go. He goes on in verse 3. After his suffering, who's suffering? Jesus. He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I think this is important in a book that's all about the church going what is the foundation of that going? What, what does it say Jesus spent 40 days here with one purpose in mind? What was his purpose? To teach him what? Teach him and show him something. That he was alive. That he was alive because this going that we talk about has to be founded on the truth that there is a risen Savior. If we're questioning that, if we're not sure of that, there's not a whole lot of motivation to go. As you go through the book of Acts, you'll see as these men and women go out, that's the biggest part of their message. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. This wasn't just a set of facts or trivia in their minds. They saw him die. Some of them watched the spear go into his side. They saw the blood in the water flow out. They saw him wrapped up and buried and then several days later, they see him in the room with them. That changes a person. <laughs> it changed these people. And I want to tell you where it says he gave them many convincing proofs. This word for proofs here is only used here in the New Testament. It's not a word that's kind of like someone saw this and they told me about it. It's like irrefutable evidence. Jesus, for 40 days, showed them irrefutable evidence that he was dead, and now he was alive. So I want to tell you, it's okay to look for reasons to believe that Jesus is alive, because if it was important to Jesus that these guys had proof, it's okay that you and I go out there with an honest mind and say, is there really grounds to believe this? You're not a bad Christian if you go out looking for the grounds to believe this. God's not afraid of that. He actually wants to show you there's plenty of reasons to believe that he actually did raise from the dead. One book that's helped me tremendously on that, because I, like many of you, have gone through seasons where I wrestle with, with doubts. 
Okay, do I, is this real or is this something I just believed because mom and dad taught me it growing up? I went through that at Bible college. A book that really helped me was a book by a man named Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. It's about Jesus, of course, but it talks about what sort of evidence is there for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you come to find out real quick through great minds like him, C.S. Lewis, God doesn't ask us to, to kill our brains to follow him. He doesn't ask us to check out from, from using this. He, he's left us a path of evidence that leads to the truth that Jesus is alive. And it's okay to look at it. You're not a bad Christian if you want to see some, some facts that back up what you believe. He spent 40 days showing these guys, hey, this is real. Listen to what Paul says. This is how important it is in 1 Corinthians 15. Some of you guys remember these verses. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Kind of important that Jesus was raised. Because if he's not, we might as well throw all these chairs back here and shut down all our missional communities. If Jesus wasn't raised, we're just messing around. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And, it gets worse, you're still in your sins. You think a deep faith in Jesus' resurrection needs to come before we'll go? Yeah, we need to believe that like nothing else we believe. It's interesting, too. How long was he there teaching these guys and showing them that he was alive? Forty days. That's a number that, that comes up a lot in the Bible, right? Several times it came up when key leaders were prepared for ministries. God hung out with Moses for 40 days on Mount Sinai before he gave him the law. You think about even Jesus' own ministry. Right after he was baptized, where did the Spirit lead him? 40 days in the desert where he was tempted and he overcame Satan. And then he began his public ministry. So here he's saying, hey, I'm going to continue this trend I'm going to spend 40 days preparing you guys before you go out. And he tells them something that they got to wait for. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, don't go out and try to do this on your own. And we did a whole series a month or two ago, you remember, on the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. You see, this Holy Spirit that he's talking about, this third member of the Trinity, God himself who lives in believers, if he hadn't come, you know what they would have been doing all through the book of Acts? It would have been a very different book. It would have been a frustrating book full of failures in in dead-end streets that they were trying because they would have been trying in their own power to follow Jesus. They would have been looking at Jesus as, yeah, he was a great teacher. He was a great example. And now I'm going to go out and try my best to be like him. And I don't know if you spent any of your life before you were a Christian or even as a Christian trying that in your own power. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work with the Holy Spirit in them. 
it enables this whole book to be what we said it is, a continuation of what Jesus began in his ministry. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus is now living his life out through these early Christians and continuing what he began to do. Verse 6. He tells them about the Holy Spirit, and that gets them thinking about end times. Because there were a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that said, when the Holy Spirit comes, that's when I'm going to come set up my kingdom on earth. They didn't foresee this whole church period. So they start thinking about this end time. He says, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? Is this the end? Is it going to be now? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. Here's what I want you to focus on. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. 39 times that word comes up in this book. Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you read that phrase and you can almost picture a rock falling into a pond and ripples going outward. That's exactly what he wanted. They're asking about, is this the end? And he's saying, don't worry about the time of the end. That's my department. I've got a job for you to do. And that is that you be my witness. Someone that has experienced a risen Savior and goes out and tells other people about that experience. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, sometimes some of us fall into the same thing they did there. It was a natural question for them to ask, but he steers them back to, hey, don't get wrapped up in when and exactly what day and time and how, you know, an exact timeline of how the end is going to go. You've got a job to do. Your job is to be witnesses. And I honestly think sometimes we get wrapped up in that as Christians. Sometimes we spend more time trying to figure out an exact chronology of how everything's going to go in the end times. We spend a ton of time having debates and, and going to conferences. It's not bad to learn more, but it is bad if that becomes more important to us than why we're here in the first place. And I think sometimes for some of us, we do that because it's easier to read and study in the quiet of our own homes. It's easy to, easier to watch videos about the end times in our own home than it is to go and have a steak with that neighbor who's living in the world and makes me really uncomfortable. Do, is it okay and, and find out more about the end times? Yeah, does God tell us some about it in the book of Revelation? Absolutely. But sometimes... Even study of the end times becomes one more way to escape the fact that, hey, I don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus didn't even know what was going to happen when he was in his earthly ministry. So I might as well stop trying to figure out an exact chronology and live out the reason why I'm here, to reach Joe and Sue next door. That's why I'm here. You know, that witness idea, I think of someone that actually saw and experienced a risen Savior. And I think today, obviously, we're not talking about seeing him. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. But I think as witnesses, it's important that as we go out there, we're not called simply to memorize a set of facts and go out there and regurgitate them. We're not called to simply master a, a theology that does nothing with our heart and regurgitate it. We're called to be witnesses of our own experience of a risen Savior. 
So as we're talking to people, as you're talking to that person at work, it's important that this doesn't come across as all theory for you. Because if it does, many of them don't want to hear it. But if you can tell and you can think through times in your own life where Jesus has made a radical difference for you, that's part of being a witness. Like for me, part of my story that I love telling people is for two years in my late teens, I was entrenched in pornography. Some of you know that, some of you don't. And I went down that downward spiral of leading that double life where I'm in youth group on Sunday morning. I'm the kid answering all the questions right. But Saturday night, I'm watching cable networks late at night, watching things that I had no business watching. And I've heard story after story of how hard it is to get out of that once you're in it. And I believe that. But I can tell you that through Carolyn's help and and love and prayers and through the help of friends, but ultimately through the help of Jesus Christ, at the end of that two years, he helped me lay that aside, embrace his grace and forgiveness and move into a new chapter in my life. That's Jesus. That's nobody else. And nobody can tell me that wasn't him. And you got your own stories like that. So when you talk to people, share, what's my experience? How has he set me free? How has he helped me? That's part of being a witness. I want you to think about Jesus' plan when he came here. I heard, I heard one guy from Austin Stone Church in Texas talk about this, and it made me laugh one time. He's like, could you imagine a meeting with the angels before Jesus came down to earth as a baby? And, and Jesus says, hey, we're going to call a meeting, and I'm going to let you guys all know what, what's going to happen, how we're going to save the planet. Okay, I'm going to be born in a backwoods town. Some of the first people that are going to hear about it are shepherds. And I'm going to spend about 30 years in relative obscurity as a carpenter. And then during that last three years, I'm going to spend the majority of my time with 12 men. Some of them are are really tough guys that are really going to be hard to work with. Fishermen, tax collectors. And I'm going to die, rise again, and go to heaven. And he's like, were any of the angels like, Jesus, is there a plan B? (laughs) Really? I mean, can't you go down there and like do some great display in the sky? that the whole planet could see at one time that proves who you are just at one time and just make them believe, overwhelm them with who you are. He's like, no, I'm going to uh, spend most of my time with these 12 guys and I'm going to trust them to go out and start a movement. (laughs) And he said, you you just wonder if some of the angels were shaking their heads. And it really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense were it not for the Holy Spirit. I think some of the disciples were probably wondering that too. Jesus, what is this about you dying and rising again and leaving? What's going on? This is the end. Like, we need you and you're leaving? Do you remember what he said in John 16? He says in verse 5, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus had to leave for the Spirit to come. And then he goes on, a little, actually a little bit earlier in that same meeting in the upper room, 
John 14, 11, and 12. He says, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You think, what kind of promise is that from Jesus? You think about his ministry. Some of the things he did. I don't know what your favorites are. I mean, he raised a little girl from the dead. Okay, he, he transformed the lives of those 12 men to where they were passionate followers of him. Miracle after miracle. And he says, I'm going to the Father. You have faith in me. You'll do even greater things than these. What's he talking about? He's talking about it's better that I leave so the counselor comes. And I thought about it like this. When Jesus was here as a man, he was fully God, fully man, right? But in that state on this planet, he was limited, willingly so, in some of the same ways you and I are. Time. He only had so much time, right? He had 24-hour days just like you and I. And he had distance, okay? He lived in a time while he was here where there was no airplane network. There were no cars, like we said. So the most your average person could travel in a day would be about 24 miles. His disciples are in this situation where he says, unless you remain in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. So they got to stay close enough to him so they can stay connected. But he can only travel 24 miles in a day. He's only got 24 hours in a day. You think about the way he disciples, right? What did he do? He took three years for 12 men. Spent three years with those 12. And I thought about the Holy Spirit, how he came to be in every believer, wherever they go. And what I thought about was the internet. Like you think about all the power and all the information that's out there on the internet that's, that's available, at just, just at the click of a mouse. But imagine if someone set it up in such a way that, hey, the, the only way you can access the internet is you got to go to a city in the Middle East, let's say Nazareth, and you got to plug your computer into it. And there's only 12 jacks. Not many people in the world are going to experience all the benefits of what's on the internet, are they? But you get a 3G or 4G network where everybody can pick it up wherever they're at on their iPad, their cell phone. All of a sudden, the wealth of information and power that's in the internet can go anywhere. The Holy Spirit's like that 4G network that now it's not limited by time and distance because he travels with us. And he, for lack of a better word, like one guy named Alan Hirsch said, our faith needs to be sneezable. Like how many of you guys have gotten sick recently, like from something that just spread around? Like our family, once the school year starts, I mean, it's just kid to kid to parent to parent. He says our faith needs to be like that. You need to be able to sneeze it and have the other person get infected by it. And this sounds weird, but the Holy Spirit is that contagion. He's the one that makes our faith sneezable, spreadable. He's the one that makes it able to infect that other life that we're talking to. Without him, it's not going to happen. I want to go on in here. Verse 9. 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this. Maybe not. I imagine those men looking up into the sky, watching Jesus go to heaven. And I imagine their minds going back to all those awesome moments they had with him. You know, all those talks around the table. Remember that time Peter, he fed that whole crowd at the beach with just a little bit of food? You know, you remember Nathaniel when he raised that dead girl back to life? I mean, those were the days. Now he's, he's leaving. And, and the angel says, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I don't know how long they did that, but long enough for the angels to ask that. You know, why are you still here? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And I thought about how sometimes we're kind of like those disciples at that moment. Like we get kind of nostalgic about moments in our life where, man, those were the good old days of my faith. And sometimes we get stuck there. Like we're looking back like, man, I remember that time when I walked down that aisle and Jesus just radically transformed my life. Man, those, that year or so after that, that was amazing. He did so much in my life. Why can't I go back there? Or I remember that missions trip I took last summer. Man, Jesus was just going crazy on that missions trip. I, I saw so many people saved. Man, I wish I could get back there. Or I remember I was in college and I didn't have all these bills to pay and so many responsibilities. It seemed so much easier to, to have time for Jesus back then. Why, why can't I go back there? I wish... I could just go back. And sometimes I wonder if God's not looking at us saying the same thing these angels said. Why are you staring back there? I've got so much more to do in your life. I've got so much more of the world to change and I want to use you to do it. But you're stuck looking at the good old days. And I just think, man, if, if these guys had stood there, if they just stayed there staring at the sky till they, till they rotted and died, <laughs> imagine what they would have missed out on. They would have missed out on changing the world. And I think if we get caught up in looking at the good old days and forget that God wants to use me today, this week, wherever I'm at, we run the same kind of risk. We don't want to stand there staring back at the good old days. We want to ask him, God, what's next? What do you want to do with me tomorrow at work? What do you want to do with me on my street this weekend? Last but not least, I want to come back to one of the points we talked about. Just how they, they shared the gospel wherever they went. I look at that in this book. And sometimes it's amazing how these guys got where they were supposed to go. Like sometimes it was because they were persecuted and they had to run so they didn't die. But they did that and it says, hey, wherever they ran to, they shared the gospel. 
You got Philip walking down the road one day and, and the spirit comes to him and says, hey, Philip, there's an Ethiopian in that chariot. Go talk to him. Reading his Bible in Isaiah trying to figure out, is this about Jesus or somebody else? Philip talks to him, gets saved, gets baptized. And right after that, it says the spirit transported, basically, for any of you Star Trek fans, he, he beamed him up to a city called Azotus. And it says as soon as he gets there, he's like, okay. He starts preaching the gospel. Peter's on his roof. He has a dream. And, and God says to him, hey, there's this centurion who's going to send some men. Go with them. Tell them about Jesus. And you start to see like, wow. These guys, it was just like along the way. They were just living life, sleeping on a roof, walking down a road. God led them and they obeyed. And that's one of the biggest ways I want to challenge us. We have such a habit, and we talked about this a little bit on Friday morning, a couple guys, of compartmentalizing our lives. Like, and what I mean by that is Okay, I've got my time here in the Quad Cities. And we might not say this, but the way we live is basically like, hey, this is for me and my family and our comfort. We're going to take care of ourselves. But, man, next summer when I go on that missions trip for two weeks, oh, I can't wait to lead somebody to Jesus because I'm just, I'm on fire, man. I, I want to go turn that country upside down. Our time here is like mine, and that two weeks is like, Okay, now I'm going to be a missionary. For these guys, it wasn't that way. I'm sleeping on my roof and I get a dream to go talk to Cornelius. Okay. For us, I'm on my couch and, and I'm praying and I, and I get a, a thought about my neighbor. I could help him in this way. I could, I could help her out with this and see what kind of conversation starts. Okay, I'll go. And I think about it, how many of our areas of our lives do we do this we even do this with vacations with our families right like you ever get in that trap where man i'm really irritable and grumpy and and out of sorts during regular life but oh on that vacation that we take for a week i'm just gonna be super dad you know i'm gonna be so awesome but man when we get back into normal life i'm back to my grumpy old irritable self we compartmentalize or even with our worship like Saturday or Sunday, man, I'm going to let it all out, you know. I'm going to raise my hands and praise Jesus, but no, no sooner than I'm in my car in the parking lot, I'm like, what's that jerk doing cutting me off? I was at that intersection first. Doggone it, and I'm back into my week, and I'm, we compartmentalize. And what I see in the book of Acts is while these guys weren't perfect, they had a holistic view of missions. They were always on mission. And I think as we go through this book, that's one of the ways I want to challenge us, challenge myself. Let's not have just moments of mission. Let's live our whole life in go mode. Wherever I am, I'm preaching the gospel, living the gospel, and seeing what God does with it. Lord, I'm excited about this book. Thankful that you gave it to us. God, and, and I'm mindful that the work that started in that book is not over. We're part of the same church that was birthed in this book, Lord. I love the, the organization that's called Acts 29. They plant churches, and it just reminds us that while the book itself only has 28 chapters, you're still busy writing the history of the church. And someday we'll get to look back at the whole thing and realize that here in 2012 in Prescott Valley, we were part of that history. 
God, help us to be believers in that, that you've called us for for more than a life of comfort and self-gratification. You've called us to make a difference in this world. God, and we're thankful for what you did in the past, but man, we want to be used today, this week. God, I pray that as we go through this book, your spirit, the same spirit that led these men and women would lead us and challenge us to go wherever we're at. Father, even as we prepare to give of our tithes and offerings, Lord, I just pray that that will be one more uh, aspect of our, our going, Lord, believing that, that this church is here to advance your kingdom. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd use these gifts to that end. We thank you for all you've done. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. We believe that. Help us to be witnesses of that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.